Hello and welcome to People and Profit. I'm Charles Pégrin, coming up in the show. Younger buyers, discussions on environmental impacts. As Monaco hosts its annual yacht show, we'll discuss the changes affecting the high-end luxury sector with one of the leading brokerages in the industry. As France waves the flag of reindustrialization, it's confronted with one major obstacle, a lack of qualified personnel to fill the 110,000 new positions set to be created every year. And as France is tackled by Rugby World Cup fever, we'll discover the economic impact of hosting such a large sporting event. But first, we head to Monaco on the French Riviera, where the Principality is holding its annual yacht show this week. Visitors will be able to gawk at the world's most expensive leisure boats, and a lucky few might even be able to buy one. But behind the glitz and glamour, the industry is facing choppy seas. Russian buyers are now out of the game, and the conversation over the sector's outsized carbon emissions is catching up with it. Nevertheless, sales of yachts around the world are meant to keep growing. While they currently stand at $9.4 billion, they'll reach $14 billion by 2030, with an estimated annual growth rate of 5.8% for the period. Well, to help us make sense of this very niche industry, let's uh, speak with Chuck Cashman. He's the executive vice president and chief revenue officer of Marine Max, the parent company of one of the biggest yacht brokerages in the world, Fraser's. He's joining us now from Monaco, where Fraser has the largest yacht on display, the 97-meter Corinthia 7, which comes with a, a fully equipped spa. Uh, Chuck, very, thank you very much for being with us uh, on, on France 24. Um, we saw the forecasts for global yacht sales earlier. What's, what's driving the growing demand for yachts globally? First of all, thank you for having me, and uh, yeah, glad to be speaking about this. Really, it started pre-pandemic, or right about the time of the pandemic. We were on a growth, we were on a growth trajectory, but not quite like it is right now. And through the last couple of years, to get to the point, I think the customer just reconnected with how much boating means to them. When you take away some of the distractions in the world, you know, luxury travel, doing things, it kind of isolated down to boats and boat, you know, boating, yachting was a big beneficiary of a period where you really couldn't travel and kind of isolation, quarantine was part of everyday life. Is there also an element here of, of uh, the amount of, uh, of, of money being generated being linked to the fact that maybe uh, the boats themselves are more expensive? Uh, does that partly explain the growth as well? Well, from the sheer dollars it does, yeah, there's been, certainly there's been the headwinds of pricing increases because of supply chain, basically, you know, some wage growth, which is which is actually good for the world, you know, that the, the people building these boats are making a little bit more money. But quite honestly, just the supply chain has been under pressure, which has really brought pricing up quite a bit. So yeah, when you look at the dollars, it isn't necessarily that we're selling more boats, although we are selling a few more boats a lot of that is just built in price increase. Uh, and sanctions against Russia have had uh, quite an effect uh, on the industry as, as Russian buyers uh, used to be a, a sizable segment of the market. Can you, can you give us a, a sense of what they represented? Well, I can, give you, I can give you a sense as it relates to Fraser, and quite honestly, they were single digits for us. They were about 9% of our business, but what, what, what really gets the news is the biggest boats in the world 
many of them were for Russian owners, Russian buyers. So, you know, the, the boats that have the, the optics of the biggest and certainly that, you know, that that's part of the mystique of the of the Russian owner is, you know, bigger is better. So, you know, highly, highly noteworthy boats. But in terms of sheer volume, not not as much. Thankfully for us, it's, uh, you know, we'll wait to see how the how the world decides what to do with it. But it was less than nine percent of our business. And and we're we're replacing that with some uh, a lot of it out of the United States, quite honestly. Uh, there's also a, a new segment of buyers, you say, from the United States, but also uh, some fresh faces coming from from the Middle East, from Doha, from uh, Dubai or the UAE. For sure, for sure. You know, it's uh, it, I've been in the industry a long time. You know, pockets of the world seem to rise and fall. You know, one. You know, quite honestly, China was was really really hot a couple of years ago. South America, a few years before that. Now you're seeing a lot of activity in the Middle East, and uh, you know, certainly there. Uh, we appreciate the business, and and it it is coming. U U.S. is still a, a pretty big part of it. But Middle East, for sure. Um, I, I want to talk about the uh, environment, environmental impact of, of the yachting uh, industry. Uh, one journal, Sustainability, a couple years back, calculated that the um, three, you might have heard this uh, statistic before, so the 300 biggest boats of the global super yacht fleet emitted as much carbon as the nation of uh, Burundi and its 10 million inhabitants. Um, where does the conversation currently stand within the industry when it comes to addressing these carbon emissions? I saw, for example, for the Monaco Yacht Show, sustainability is kind of the, one, of the, one of the buzzwords this year. Well, and it, and it has been a buzzword for a while. And I had not heard that statistic. And, you know, if you hear that raw, that is... Uh, that's a lot of impact, right? So we li we live in a world that we know isn't the isn't the most environmentally friendly. But I, I can tell you, some of our owners, many of our owners, offset it with some of the good that they do in other areas. But I think some of those are also worst case scenarios where you know if the boat is running a wide open throttle as opposed to at a very slow speed. You know the fuel burn just goes. It's it's an exponential fuel burn. But what manufacturers are doing right now, every single manufacturer in the world is trying to figure out how to make a boat more green than they made yesterday. So I am proud of the way our industry has responded unilaterally. Everybody is trying to figure out this equation: of is it electric? Is it hydrogen? So it's um you know it, it's it's a real challenge because they're not the most fuel efficient energy efficient green machines out there but every single manufacturer most owners all companies that are involved recognize that if we don't do more then we're not doing our job well chuck uh, cashman is uh, the uh, vice uh, vice president executive vice president and chief revenue officer uh, at marine max uh, the parent company uh, Fraser is one of the biggest uh, yacht brokerages in the world. Thank you very much for being with us on People and Profit. Thank you for having me. Well, next off, we're uh, headed back to France. The government here has earmarked tens of billions of euros to try to revive the nation's industry and make it a leader in high-tech and renewable energy, a move spurred on by the supply chain disruptions felt throughout the pandemic and a global geopolitical environment which increases the likelihood of barriers to trade. But one major obstacle stands in its way, a skills shortage. Yuka Royer from France 24's uh, Business Desk joins us now. Uh, Yuka, what, can you give us a sense of what the labor needs are for French industry in the coming years? 
Well, to meet the government's ambitious goals that you mentioned, uh, Charles, some 110,000 new hires will be needed each year, or 1.3 million by 2035, according to recent research by two industry experts. Uh, at the current hiring pace, however, only 14% of France's, work, France's workforce will be in the industrial sector in 2070. That's almost 50 years from now, and below the current European Union average of 16%. Now, some 90,000 industrial jobs were created between 2017 and 2022. But during that same period, the number of jobs left vacant uh, rose threefold to 60,000. A recent survey showed more than 60% of small and medium companies are struggling to recruit. And one of the major issues here is convincing young people to choose a career in this sector. Well, Charles, France has enough young people studying or training in the field. More than 120,000 come out of education with industrial qualifications each year. But half of them then go and look for jobs elsewhere. And why is that? Well, one of the major obstacles uh, is manufacturing's lingering reputation that it's dirty uh, and low-paid blue-colour work. France's uh, industry minister, Roland Lescure, uh, says that attracting future workers, especially women, is his top priority. And earlier this month, when the French city of Lyon hosted this year's World Skills competition, uh, he used the opportunity to address directly teenagers. And another solution could be in the uh, recruiting of foreigners, but that's not convincing everyone. Well, even though a majority of employers surveyed said that they were facing labour shortages, only 32% said that they were willing to hire migrant workers. 30 said they were against and 38% were neutral on this. Now, that's because of administrative and financial burden uh, that employers have to shoulder when hiring non-French citizens. Uh, small and medium-sized companies are particularly uh, hesitant in this regard. The French Senate uh, is set to start examining an immigration bill in November that would create a, a special residence permit to allow illegal migrants to continue to work in understaffed sectors. Yukoroye, thank you very much. With the Rugby World Cup in full swing in France, the country is hoping to reap the economic benefits that come with the influx of tourism. Around 2.5 million fans are expected to attend fixtures across the country over the course of the competition, including 600,000 from abroad. Well, Emerald Maxwell has more. From South Africans to Irish, British to Italians, foreign rugby fans have begun flocking to France with a total of 600,000 expected to visit over this World Cup. The 48 matches are scattered across the four corners of the country and the host cities are already cashing in on the event. Rugby's huge in France as well. We come over here quite a bit for the matches. So yes, absolutely. It's like having it at home for us. <laughs> it's the next best thing. The influx of fans is not only delighting the hotel industry, but it's also doing breweries a world of good. The last World Cup in Japan saw the country's annual beer production jump by 70%. So bars across France knew what to expect. We prepared with a lot of beer. We doubled, even tripled our quantities. There's a lot of consumption and we've also prepared the outside areas to accommodate as many people as possible. Our aim is to create a sort of fan zone. The 2011 World Cup in New Zealand enabled the host country to reap 1.2 billion euros in various economic benefits. For Japan in 2019, it was 1.8 billion. France expects to make in the region of 2.4 billion euros. 
with the event providing a boost during what is typically low season for the tourism industry. Well, thank you for watching People in Profit. You can watch all of our previous shows on France24.com or the France24 app. You can also listen to them wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out to us on our various social media channels. In the meantime, stay tuned to France24.